You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Episode 31, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you so much for dropping by The Paradox. You're in for quite a treat today because I'm interviewing Dr. Nitin Gupta, who is starting a new practice a direct primary care practice in straight pediatrics. So I know we've spoken about the direct primary care model a few times, episodes two and four, so way back in the beginning, for those of you who've been around for a while. Essentially for direct primary care, one uses a membership model for delivering care as opposed to using a third-party payer system. This is usually a cash-based system where it does not use insurance, co-pays, deductibles, and you just pay for membership. And so you have unlimited access generally to a physician, at least by email or uh, text, uh, and it provides unlimited visits throughout the month. And so this is an alternative way of delivering care, which is gaining popularity, especially amongst family physicians, internists. But now we're starting to see pediatricians adopt this model. It's different. It's more radical. And in some ways, it's riskier. Uh, But certainly people are now adopting this method. And I think, as I've said before, anything that's going to help establish a patient-physician relationship or enhance it is going to be a satisfier and people are going to be willing to take chances to do this, which is going to be a huge satisfier for physicians and naturally, by extension, patients as well. The show notes page will be at theparadox.com slash 031. There you can get the links to all the episodes we talk about, the Dr. Gupta's website, which is rivertownspeds.com. There you can learn more about his practice. And if you're in the Westchester County area in New York, you certainly can sign up to be a patient or contact him to find out more information. And as always, you can go to patreon.com slash theparadox, that's P-R-A-D-O-C-S, and there you can become a patron supporter of the show, get bonus materials. And finally, as a programming note, it's my anniversary this week. It's a bit of a bittersweet 20th anniversary with my wife, and so we're going to be heading out of town. And it's also the holiday season, so the regularity of the show will be somewhat irregular. So, as a warning, if you need your fix, I'd recommend you go back and listen to some previous episodes, or just be patient and wait an extra week or so. So thank you again so much for being a supporter and a listener for the show and for sharing it so much with your friends. It's made a huge difference, and it's put us in the top, oh, I think top 80% or so of the podcasts out there, and I have no one else to thank but you who are listening. Thank you so much again. It's been a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to the next 31 episodes. But without further ado, Dr. Gupta on direct primary care for pediatrics. Enjoy. Well, hi, this is Dr. Eric Larson. I'm here with my new friend, Nitin Gupta. Dr. Gupta is a board-certified general pediatrician. He delivers pediatric care in the New York, New Jersey area. Uh, He's a graduate from the St. George University School of Medicine, went to undergraduate University of California, Berkeley, and he trained for pediatrics, University of Medicine, and dentistry at, of New Jersey, New Jersey, of New Jersey Medical School. I always find it funny that they mentioned, throw the dentistry in there too. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you also did some training at the Weill Cornell Medical College in pediatric gastroenterology and nutrition. And Correct. he has a new direct primary care practice, which is why I contacted Dr. Gupta. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, why don't we start with sort of how you ended up where you are? So walk us through 
from, let's say, medical school, because no one's really interested in physicians before medical school, except <laughs> outside of her spouses and her friends. But tell us about um, why you went to pediatrics, uh, and then your residency, and then how you found yourself to where you are today. Mm-hmm. Ah, so, um, yeah, so what, how I found myself in pediatrics, I, 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 think, uh, I think people are just born pediatricians, so it was kind of always there. Uh, and, uh, of course, in undergrad, uh, I always wanted to be kind of that heroic guy, like, uh, maybe, no, I'm going to be a cardiothoracic surgeon, crack the chest open and, you know, you know, everything we see in Hollywood and stuff. Right. Uh, but, uh, but really deep down inside, I've always been a pediatrician and, and, uh, you know, it's, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of Dr. Who and Dr. Who is famous for saying the line, I speak baby. And yeah, I think every pediatrician speaks baby. Uh, so, um, but, but the, it, it really, uh, really solidified, um, my passion for pediatrics when I did my third year, uh, rotations in medical school, uh, first started off in, uh, internal medicine and then surgery. And, uh, there was kind of a, uh, almost like a, uh, a callousness, I guess, uh, amongst everybody in, in medicine, um, or kind of like a wall or a barrier. I don't know. There was just this distance between the physicians and the patients, even the staff, the nursing staff, it, it was just very different with, with adults. I, di- I didn't like that kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a big disconnect. With, uh, but with pediatrics, as soon as I started my first day of rotations, you could really see everybody uh, really, um, they put in 110% into uh, taking care of children. Um, everybody who's involved in pediatrics, they, they are passionate about pediatrics. So that's the kind of community I wanted to be part of, uh, not, not to, you know, not to disrespect any other specialties, but you know, we're, we're a special breed as pediatricians. Yeah. Well, you, you all, I mean, you find your own passion and to, to your point, I think it's a lot of, uh, I had a family doc once tell me a long time ago, he said the, the nice thing about kids, they take a joke, um, which means that they can get pretty roughed up and sick. And then they just bounce back and be totally fine. Uh, and then also that the kids want to get better. I mean, you don't ever find a four-year-old who malingers. <laughs> they all want to be running around playing and stuff. And so you don't well, deal with a lot of that, those psychiatric I, issues, right? I mean, outside you know, of when you I'll hit teenagers. You, there, there are some very interesting four-year-old malingerers. And, and they poorly. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, it's not like they're, they're malingering to get out of school. They're malingering because they're like, I, I, I'll give you an example. My, my three-year-old this morning. He was like, I'm so sick. I'm like, really? What's going on? I need a cookie. No. No. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, it's, I, I just find the, the comedy in kids and, 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 uh, you know, they, they constantly put a smile, bring a smile to, uh, to my face. Um, but, uh, you know, when they do get sick, they can get sick fast and they oh, yeah. hard and, and, uh, uh, and, and, um, and so, you know, I've always taken care of a kid, but always in the back of my mind, I'm always looking uh, for those subtle signs, my gut feeling like, okay, wait, I got to watch this one. Uh, and uh, because they, they can be very playful until they're not. And then yeah. that's where they, they head in that direction. And then once they start, they make that turnaround, then they go back to being playful. And you love those kids. <laughs> yeah. I, I always remember we had, with our kids when they are younger, it was always... Um, they have a fever. They kind of like slump into a you know a yeah. heap, and then you get ibuprofen, and their fever breaks, and then they're running around, and then you can just tell when the ibuprofen starts wearing off again. They start yeah. that heap. It's just a, a, a continuous cycle. Yeah. yeah. So my wife, who's a pediatrician, I think I was telling you offline earlier. It, it again, everyone knew she was going to be a pediatrician, and she kind of thought she was, and then by everyone telling her that she had to be one, uh, <laughs> she tried to resist it for a little while, and then she's like, "Yeah, that's really what I want." want to do because it is there's a different relationship you have and the the it's just a different calling i think is just more than it's probably the best way of putting it yeah i mean it, it, it it's it's the calling uh, it, you know all science it's really tough to be a pediatrician nowadays i'll be honest I mean, when, when you got school loans in the hundreds of thousands of dollars uh what i was saying is yeah it is really hard to choose pediatrics now uh, if you're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Um, uh, and, and it's been tough living, you know, I live uh, 30 minutes north of New York City. So uh, in Westchester County, and uh, I'll be honest, um, you know, you got, you got some 
you got some starting salaries for a pediatrician at a, starting at a hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, I don't, you know, in, in many parts of the country that, that may sound good, but it's kind of rough in New York city. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, uh, and, you know, especially knowing that, that, uh, uh, my wife, my wife's, uh, 23 year old junior makes more than that. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, and she works on wall street. So, uh, it's kind of tough. So, so that's why I tried to fight it a while, you know, like, Oh no, I'm going to go into something else. Cause it's, you have to think about that in the back of your mind about the money thing, but I couldn't fight it. I'm a pediatrician. It's, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a, one of the things we're looking at to, that we've talked about in the podcast a number of times is are they, are there considerations for choosing specialties? And certainly, um, I mean the financial one and many people who are listening to this are like six figures. Holy moly. I'd love that. But you have to remember these people are these people. That was me once. <laughs> uh, most people are coming out with about a, at now, I think about a quarter million dollars of, of debt uh, that you're expected uh, to start paying back, you know, when yeah. you're resident or right afterwards. And, and, uh, you know, then you're expected to go some, if you're living in a place like New York, I mean, I don't know what the cost of living is there compared to where I am, but you're not <laughs> living in, you're not living much even on six figures. I think if you're barely six figures as in pediatrics. So. Well, well uh, I'll tell you my, uh, my student loan, uh, once I finished residency and, and left fellowship, I was looking at about, um, about $1,200 a month in loan payments. Yeah. Um, it depended, uh, you know, it could have been up to 1500, but I kind of consolidated and, um, kind of got some of my payments lower. Uh, and, and that's, that's pretty high. Uh, it, it, you know, when you're paying about $1,500 a month, $1,200 a month, that's high when you got to also choose rent. Oh, you want to live somewhere too? Yeah. yeah and food, food is important too. Yeah. So, right. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it was a good thing I'm married. We are a dual income household. <laughs> I kind of have to, be, you know, yeah. uh, patients aren't going to be able to make it, uh, solo out here. Uh, <laughs> so, kind of so you finished, so you finished residency, you did, did you complete a, or did you just start a residency or a fellowship in gastroenterology and they decided it wasn't what for you? So yeah, my undergrad major in, at Berkeley was uh, nutrition, um, and uh, I loved nutrition. Always wanted to practice nutrition, uh, so I went into GI. And also, um, I was thinking, hey, you know, the money's really good in GI. Uh, that's actually adult GI that the money's really good in. May not necessarily be in the case of pediatric. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, that's one of those things where you can't you can't choose your profession based off of money. Um, I hated it. <laughs> I, July 1st, uh, I mean, uh, July 1st, uh, I started uh, uh, my GI fellowship. July 3rd, I hated it. I was like, oh boy, what did I get myself into? Um, so, you know, my, I, I, did, I did my first year of fellowship, um, and uh, it, it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I felt more like a plumber than anything. Um <laughs> And, you know, really my passion was nutrition, but you know what, in this medical era, no doctors practice in nutrition. No, no. If you're not getting reimbursed for it, if you can't spend more than, you know, nutrition, you got to spend more than five minutes with the patient. So you're not, you're not practicing. Right. So I quickly, you know, I realized, uh-oh. <laughs> so I did my first year. That was terrible. I said, you know what, I want to quit. My, my senior uh, fellow, he's like, Come on, first year of fellowship is terrible across the board. Just give it another year. I was like, all right. And my second year was even worse because I knew I, I really didn't want to be in this specialty. <laughs> yeah, my passion was in general pediatrics. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. See, I remember when I did when I was a medical student. We and I was in the. I spent. We would actually spend one of our weeks in a specialty clinic, and I actually got peds GI, which I really enjoyed, just doing watching the endoscopies and things like that, the procedural aspect of it. But it was a lot of encopresis. And for those of you who do not, who do not know yeah. that, it's basically kids who refuse to poop and then their poop gets stuck and they get constipated and they leak around the poop. So anyway, that's yeah. it seemed like a lot of the GI clinic was just encopresis, at least half the consults. And so uh, yeah. prescribed a lot of Miralax and that was pretty much the solution to a lot of the GI yeah. issues. Yeah, a lot, lot, of, lot of pediatric rectal exams, a lot of Miralax. Um, it was, uh, you know, that was my life 24-7 for two years. I hated it. <laughs> I mean, I'm a master at disinfecting children, um, but I mean, you know, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> you, 
you really got to have a have a passion for that. I, that just wasn't me. <laughs> right. And for those of you listening, this is uh, Dr. Gupta's young child, 18-month-old daughter, who is, yeah, uh, you know, being right. an 18-month-old daughter. It's totally fine. I think it's it adds to the authenticity of the <laughs> of the pediatrics. And it reminds me of uh, one of the students my wife and I had, one of our classmates, she was trying to decide between OB and uh, pediatrics. And I remember her talking to us and saying, you know, I can't decide because I really enjoy the neonates. And I and we both looked at each other. We said, "Yeah, you're going to be an obstetrician because not a single pediatrician would ever say neonate. <laughs> They're always yeah. babies, right?" <laughs> yeah. So you finish your. So you left the fellowship. I left. I assume it, then. And then what did you do then? Year. So where'd oh, yeah. you go after that? Uh, so after that, uh, so so two years of GI fellowship, knowing the job outlook was terrible. Um. Meaning, uh, just I mean, kind of what my salaries would look like. Uh, also, kind of a uh, funny thing when you, when you work in New York City, you know, during that time, this was uh, around 2008, before that financial crisis, I was getting recruited by hedge fund people. <laughs> so, really? Yeah, yeah. What, uh, what do they want you for? Well, you know, doctors are very smart. So, uh, hmm, okay. <laughs> so, we don't have that problem in Michigan, but okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I, you know, uh, uh, there's just and there was a number of doctors who had actually left medicine and gone to uh, hedge funds on, into banking things like that. So I actually was thinking about going that direction. I was thinking about leaving medicine altogether because I mean, even at that time, uh, general pediatrics, I and mean, you're seeing like 30 kids plus a day, and then yeah. Uh, um, you know, it's, it's a factory. Um, I hated, I hated my specialty. Um, so, and then at that time my dad was also dying. And so that's actually, uh, I left, uh, it, uh, my beginning of my third year. Cause I just kind of knew like, you know, if I, if I didn't, if I stuck around, uh, and, uh, wasn't there by my dad's side, I wouldn't forgive myself. So right. I quit and went home. My dad loved the idea that I just quit and uh, <laughs> hung out with them. Uh, but I was actually seriously thinking about just leaving this all together, like I said. Um, but uh, I took about six months off trying to take care of family business uh, after my dad's death and uh, uh, really, really wanted to go back to medicine. Uh, but I had a hard time thinking about, uh, it was hard for me to get back to New York um, uh, because of my, I'm originally born and raised in California. Um, so I kind of wanted to go to the far, I, I wanted to kind of get away. I wanted to hide. I just didn't want to talk about my dad's death and my career and things like that. So I took off to Caribou, Maine. <laughs> Sounds remote. Yeah. Yeah. In the dead of winter, uh, from January to March, I took a locum's job up in Caribou, Maine and, uh, and for general pediatrics, um, you know, being two years out of general pediatrics, not too many people would take me <laughs> except for Caribou, Maine. Uh-huh. And um, uh, it was probably the best decision of my life. Uh, and that's, that's where, um, yeah, I, I went up there. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's northeasternmost city in the country. <laughs> um, I mean, even the Canadians are like, wow, that's north. <laughs> um, and and uh, it, it, it was, I was welcomed by a community. Um, practicing pediatrics over there was uh, an amazing experience because I, over there was a smaller community. Uh, I, a busy day for me was seeing 12 patients. (laughs) So I actually got to spend like 45 minutes to an hour with some of these patients. Um, and, uh, and every patient, uh, my nurse, uh, who was up there and our staff, everybody was family. Everybody, everybody was somebody's neighbor and they, and they, and my nurse were telling me the, the family history of them. Oh, this is the, uh, uh, you know, the Conses or the Terrios. And, and, and it was just a huge uh, community feel. Um, and it was, it was just, it was beautiful. And so that renewed my passion in, in pediatrics. So I came back to New York cause I was still married, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. 
there's that there's that small detail, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my wife was like, "I am not moving up to Caribou." I was like, "Come on." <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "No." <laughs> Our commute would have been a little hard. Um, that would have been rough. So you yeah. brought Caribou back to New York. So I brought Caribou back to New York. Uh, yeah, and and uh, so that that was in 2011. Yeah. Uh, and so I've been kind of, uh, you know, I took up a private pediatric, uh, general peds, uh, job, uh, in Queens. Um, it was, uh, it was a factory. <laughs> it yeah. was insane. Um, I didn't last very long there because that was definitely far from caribou. So I went into a teaching position at, uh, uh, at, at the Brooklyn hospital. So I was a, a pediatric, uh, ER hospitalist. Mm-hmm. And I did that for five years. Um, okay. And uh, because uh, when you when you live in New York, when you're young and you don't have kids, you live in New York, you kind of are a transient. You know, you're renting a space, you're renting an apartment. You don't know where you're going to live in 10 years. So I figured ER would be a great idea because <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't going to like settle down in a practice and get involved with the community and then leave if it turned out we had to you know move somewhere. We had kids. Right, and we- sure, sure. So, um, uh, it, you know, five years over there, it was great. It was great. But again, I mean, what we're seeing nowadays is a consolidation of hospitals. Uh, hospitals are shutting down here in in the metropolitan area. Uh, they're consolidating hospitals. If they're financially struggling, they shut down pediatrics first. Um, right. Cause you guys are making any money because yeah, you guys come on, kids don't matter. Kids are all healthy. No, but, uh, uh, but that was it. I mean, we just don't, we're a, a, in, in the eyes of insurance and reimbursements, we are a money loser. We're a right. loss. And so as, as hospitals are struggling, pediatrics gets shut down. Um, and uh, yeah, the hospital I was at, they still have their pediatrics, but you know, they're cutting, cutting back on my staff and the ER and things were and we were getting busier. It was tough. Um, you know, as as a doctor, I didn't have any autonomy. I had, uh, you know, this is what. Well, this is what uh, administration says we're going to do. And um, well, it's like, but that's terrible for patient care. But well, it fits meaningful use. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so basically, you were you were in a small town in Maine. You practice yeah. medicine sort of the way, and and I've talked about this a number of times through my podcast. I know you're not super familiar with it, but. Um, in going over the physician survey from 2018, where they, they survey all the physicians in the country and you know number re- respond, the number one overwhelming satisfier for physicians it, professionally is the relationship they have with their patients. Yeah. And so what you experience in Caribou, Maine is really what I think most people who go into medicine envision their practice to be, where they have this personal relationship with a patient on some portion of their journey, whether it's their entire journey to the beginning of the journey, which would be, say, your case where some of the first years of life. Uh, or, you know, or just a surgical experience or something like that. But it's, it is that aspect of it that is what drives people into medicine and, and keeps them in medicine. And when you lose that, people get burned out, frustrated, and they, you know, then, it's, then you take away some autonomy, you make people follow a t- meaningful use and quality measures that's, that are not of any quality to you or the patient. And suddenly people get really frustrated and they have problems that we have now. So, so you were so you basically have a pretty typical story in some ways that you, <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it's a roundabout kind of way to get where you are now. So so basically you just you saw what how you kind of want to practice medicine in a small town, but not have to live in a small town, which is the problem, of course. Yes. And probably your pay in a small town, if you were not a locum where your supportive community is probably not very good. And so oh, well, compared to New York City uh, payments, oh, it's almost double. Oh, was it? Well, and. <laughs> Is that, um, do you think that was a reflection of the scarcity? I mean, just the, that it was, the, was it the insurance payments were that much better? Because usually most yes. rural areas are yes, very high are. Medicaid. Okay. They are because uh, it, it depends on the, uh, the, how large the Medicaid population is. Sure. Uh, and so New York City, New York being one of the, uh, uh, one of the most populated states, our Medicaid pool is a lot, the, the reimbursements because of our Medicaid pool is a lot lower um versus uh a place that's kind of more remote uh where you have a bigger uh pot of funding um but then you don't have as many pediatricians and pediat and patients so the reimbursement's a lot better right so 
All right. So now we're kind of to the present day. So tell me what you've decided to do. And, uh, and and why don't you start, why don't you start there? Cause I mean, I already spilled it's the DPC practice, but, um, we yeah. haven't talked about this, in my podcast for a couple episodes, a couple months now. So why don't you talk about what you're doing now? So I basically, I'm bringing a little bit of caribou up here. I, I'm just, it, it's, uh, after I left the hospital, I worked for a private practice and, um, uh, that's traditional insurance based. And uh, of course, you know, getting to see like 30, 40 patients, it's that factory, it's that zoo. Uh, I can't really get that, that, uh, um, uh, that relationship with the patients. So, um, being who I am, uh, and knowing, uh, that they're, uh, what's out there, that experience at Caribou really changed everything. And I've always looked for, for a job like that. And then I realized I'm never going to find that out here in New York. I might as well just create my own job. <laughs> so, so um, let me just break away. Um, you know, what we need is uh, we're up here in Westchester County. Uh, it's mainly a, 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 the community where I, I work and, and live. Uh, it's a dual income households. Uh, both, both parents often work. Um, they're very busy. Uh, if a kid gets sick, you know, it, it really means that ha- uh, one parent has to leave work and uh, uh, take half a day off to go to the doctors. Yeah, right. So, um, you know, there, there's a lack of accessibility there because, you know, doctors, pediatrics offices are from nine to five. And then when you do get your, pe- uh, that your appointment with a pediatrician, you only got about five minutes with them. Um, so uh, there's a lack of time with the pa- with the pediatrician. <laughs> uh, the the, the timing is off because uh, you have to get there before five, or you're going to an urgent care or an ER. Um, so what I decided was, uh, you know what? I'm just not going to play by those rules. I'm just going to work for the patient directly. And so I have a, a, a monthly fee, which my patients have access to me 24 seven, and. Um, and uh, I can I can make the house calls, and uh, I've got my doctor's bag, and and uh, I don't know in a way kind of like think of like kind of Norman Rockwell like <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah uh, that I, I mean I'm old enough to uh, remember those kind of paintings of of how pediatricians used to be, and so uh, just trying to do it uh, do it my way, and and uh, so far it's getting pretty good reception. Do you, um, I don't know where to start. So I guess, uh, the first question would be, uh, you're obviously doing house calls, you're 24 seven availability. And so now I'm going to speak a little bit to the, um, the market, I guess. Yeah. Clearly there's a, there's a demand for this sort of service. I mean, I think, I think too often when you look at, you listen to healthcare systems, you listen to, um, the, the insurers and they talk about, Patients want convenience, and there's no question that patients, especially millennials and whatever, they're they're on their phones. They want just to in and out. They'd rather go to Walgreens and see a nurse practitioner or whatever, or CVS or something. Uh, but that's, I think, in part because you're seeing someone who's just anybody. It, you don't if you if you're not given the opportunity to form any sort of long term relationship with anybody. You don't obviously care who you see, and so you and if it's you're going to charge the same anyway, you might as well go someplace you can get in quickly. Yeah. Because, and so what you're offering is a is a is an alternative to that, in that you're you're offering more than just convenience. You're certainly offering a relationship and someone who knows you and knows your kid. So yeah. how how did you find how did you find about this practice? Because I know you didn't just think of this on your own. I mean, in some ways, you kind of knew sort of what you wanted to do, but we all have the internet. So how did you kind of get started on the DPC road? Um, well, it's, uh, I, I had heard rumors of some doctors doing <laughs> those cash only. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, trying to, and so I've always been kind of tinkering with the idea. First of all, the problem is, and, and pediatricians are worse at it. We, uh, we as a society have, have equated healthcare with health insurance. Yes. And so that, so I was in that kind of mindset for a very long time, along with everybody, uh, because that's what we've been told. 
But over the last two years, as, as deductibles have been going up, uh, I, I, know, I discovered that some of my patients weren't coming in to see me for the sick visits. They were calling me a lot. And so I, I, I talked to these parents. I say, hey, you know, really, I gotta see your kid. Uh, I can't really diagnose your kid over the phone. Like, why aren't you coming in? And finally, one parent just finally said, you know, we can't afford the deductible. And, um, and I was like, that, that, that's what's, that's what kind of changed things. Cause I kind of sat there and I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, she's, she's, uh, you know, I was, I was working for a hospital group, so she was going to be, she was going to be online for a $250 office visit for what, five minutes with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was going to have to leave work early to make it to the appointment. So yeah, I was kind of like, man, why don't we just cut the insurance companies out of it? So I started looking at looking at these people, kind of Googling these people who, who didn't take insurance and then started looking into DPC and, um, and uh, came across uh, 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 a doctor, uh, Amber, Dr. Amber Price over at Willow Peds out in Chicago um, and just chatted with her and got her ideas and, and we're, and it, it was kind of like, turned out we were all, a lot of us are having the same idea all around the same time. We've identified the middleman is the problem. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, the, the, uh, the doctor patient uh, relationship is gone is the doctor and then a biller and a receptionist and you know, all these other people involved before the, we even see the patient. Why don't we just cut all of that? We, we constantly are talking about, uh, how healthcare costs are going up and all that, but we're not talking about <laughs> kind of the quality of care, you know? And so what I'm offering is, is, a, 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 an affordable monthly fee. And now, now, as opposed to someone just going over to like an urgent care or a, a minute clinic or something, really it's important, especially in pediatrics, to have a consistent, cons- uh, consistent care with, with a single pediatrician. You know, that, that fever on Wednesday, um, you know, it, maybe, you know, if the kid didn't get better by Friday, you know, oh, was it the ear? And we look on Friday and yeah, it's an ear infection, but we, we know what that ear looked like on Wednesday. You know, that, that cough that we saw on Monday, uh, if we, you know, check back in on that kid, like say, um, uh, Monday night, turns out that kid's wheezing. We, we saw the kid Monday morning, get a little cough Monday night. He's full on asthma attack. That is important if you have a consistent care with a physician. And so that's what I'm offering. And, and, uh, um, you know, I, I, there, there, I have my busy days, <laughs> but I'm loving it, uh, yeah. because I, I'm serving the people in my community. Uh, these are kids that are growing up with my children and, um, and, uh, and this is, this is what I wanted. This is what I've always admired. I, I, I remember, um, my pediatrician, uh, who I established a relationship when I was with her when I was very, very young and, you know, she remembered me and remembered every little thing about it. that, 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 that uh, relationship's gone nowadays in traditional practice. I'm bringing that back. So as a quick refresher for those who may have missed episodes two and four, <laughs> we talked about direct primary care since we're now episode 31. Uh, oh, wow. Direct primary care is pretty much, uh, you pay a membership. It's sort of like, I hate to say it's like a gym membership, but in some ways it is. Oh, it's a pay gym it, membership. <laughs> I mean, you pay you pay a membership fee monthly. You have access to the physician. Uh, they provide services, most of them for no cost. Um, they have or significantly reduced cost, like um, laboratories and things like that. Obviously, in pediatrics, you don't have much of that. Uh, and so, so the question, is, so what what have seen over the past, I would say probably three to five years, is an explosion in the in the in the deductibles that people are expected to pay for health insurance really pretty much since the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare was passed. I mean, you saw a dramatic increase, whether that's resultant from that or not, or if it's just, you know, that was going to happen anyway, whatever. But the fact of the matter is that it's much more expensive for people to get care. And so when you're speaking to the people paying these deductibles, before the deductible was not that much and you're going to hit that deductible. And so you're not too concerned about, you know, you're going to hit the deductible anyway at the end of the year. So you're just going to go ahead and go into that for that office visit. Now 
you're expected as a patient to cover far more that are deductible and and you may not even hit the end deductible so the point where your care becomes free in the sense that you're just paying the premium and now all the rest additional care is covered you may not reach that and so you're saying well you're gonna be a lot more judicious about going in and so you're gonna not to get the care you may need at times um and so for you how did you you i know you're we talked earlier you're two months in this practice so you know brand new you obviously have from a financial standpoint you have the the security of your wife having a, a job um yeah. and so you're you're not starving you're not eating ramen noodles like that you got a couple kids at home um did did you think it was important to do this uh, when you had a little bit of i guess experience or um a nest egg i suppose built up that you could go ahead and plunge in or do you think that was that was it would have been easier straight out of residency when you didn't even know any better no absolutely doing it now if i did it straight out of residency i would have been left into bankruptcy because deductibles weren't as high back um, so what we, so that so that's a matter of not your timing as much as it is the the landscape of medicine has changed uh, right yeah but uh so in the past year uh i did finally pay off my student loans congratulations uh, thank you <laughs> so uh kind of the the question was uh what should i invest in <laughs> real estate <laughs> we peaked uh at least in the local market uh, and so we actually, we actually have to keep, so wasn't going to invest in that <laughs> stock yeah. market. I mean, economists, uh, across the board are saying we're, we're, we're going to be hit in 2019. So that's probably not a good idea. So let me just invest in myself. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yes, uh, I think about finances every single day. Um, and just like any small business owner, uh, should, um, but uh, having about ten years, uh, no, eight years out of res, uh, out of fellowship, uh, I do have the maturity and, and kind of, kind of, I've, I've been around that whole uh, kind of the game. Uh, uh, I know kind of what what the insurance companies want and what they definitely don't want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also I, I also identify kind of what what patients need and families need. So um, financially, I'm stable. Um, it is still it's a very it, it's still it's still in the back of my mind constantly. Um, yeah, we are, we are cutting back, uh, on a lot of things. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, but no, we're not eating ramen noodles. Right. Do you, oh, that, come on, man. I love ramen. But uh, <laughs> you know, my kids were asking me the other day, funny thing about that. And I said, I don't think I ever ate ramen noodles. I ate other stuff that was cheap, but. Oh, really? Uh, oh no, ramen's awesome. But what, uh, um, what you, but I was just going to ask you, um, oh, I forgot now, but, uh, <laughs> When it comes to finding patients, yes, uh, you know the your pricing. Looking at your website, and so it, it, for those interested, it's rivertownspeds.com. Uh, you can find out all about your practice and pricing and what services you offer. Uh, but uh, your pricing is obviously more. But you know it's a much more intensive care of patients, especially in the early years of life. Right, At pediatrics. You're seeing kids every two weeks initially when they're babies, and then every few months, not until they get to what, like five or six, you just kind of just see them annually for well child checks. Well, you know, I mean, outside of being sick. Yeah. Well, the, uh, so remember the nutrition background of mine. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Uh, so, you know, a a few of my kids, I'm actually seeing them when they're not sick because I'm doing nutrition. Okay. Uh, because I can spend the time with them. Um, but, uh, yeah, the it also we're in a kind of a, a very densely populated area. And so when one kid gets sick, everybody gets sick. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so it, it's it, 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 it's um you know they they're not necessarily having adult issues, but uh, still a fever in your kid will still scare you as a parent. And uh uh, you know, if your your little if your little one is croup at two a.m., uh, you know that a lot. You know, it would be great to have a, a pediatrician on call to just come right over and um, treat your kid if needed. Yeah, uh, so you do you do house calls, which yeah. there aren't many physicians. I've had patients ask me to come and do extra nerve blocks for them after that wears off, and I tell them that they can't oh. afford me. But <laughs> um, so how how many of your visits are house calls versus 
I assume you have a clinic somewhere or a little I office do. exam. I, do. I have a, an 1100 square foot office, which, uh, which is pretty much storage space. <laughs> about, about 80% of my, uh, patient visits are house calls. Um, and I actually prefer it that way. The reason why I have my office is because, um, uh, kind of people also don't trust a doctor that doesn't have an office. <laughs> so, so sure. I have, uh, I have an office and, uh, I, um, but, but yeah, 80% of my, um, visits are house calls, which I prefer because there's a difference. Um, the, the kids are a lot more relaxed and actually oh, I don't know if the kids even know I'm their doctor. Um, <laughs> kind of unnerving. um so I don't think they quite figured out I'm their doctor. Uh, but it, you know, if I give a shot at home, it's a lot different. That kid will like cry and then crawl away and bring me a toy. Uh, <laughs> like 30 seconds. Um, I, I have one family that, that absolutely does all their visits at my office, uh, which, which the little, their little two-year-old calls it, um, Dr. Gupta's house. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, I, I, I have their, um, uh, I, every, every child, um, I know what, what their favorite cartoon is. <laughs> so <laughs> if they're coming to the office, I've got their favorite cartoon playing. Uh, they, they come into my waiting room, they grab a juice box and they just sit in front of my, uh, my, uh, my TV then just relax and sit on the juice box and uh, do my visit there. It's a relaxed setting as opposed to having a ton of kids in my waiting room, coughing and crying and biting and kicking. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and uh, actually, well, you know what, that's, that, those are the physical patient visits. A lot of it is, I guess what you'd call virtual. Uh, a lot of parents just like, just, they really like having, uh, the ability to just text me or call me when they need to. Uh, my patients aren't Googling anymore. <laughs> yeah. they, just call, they call me right away. Um, they call me or text me. Um, uh, I know uh, who the, the caretakers are of every kid. So, you know, yeah. I know that during this time it's grandma. So grandma has my phone. Uh, for this kid, uh, the nanny has my phone. So I'm not like saying, Oh no, you know what? I need a specific, uh, consent form from mom to speak with the nanny. Right. I do, you know, I, I meet with the families before they become members. So I know who's in, who's involved, who has my phone number. And so everybody's relaxed. Everybody, um, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's just a, a better care for them. Um, it's, it's convenience. Um, and now it might be a little bit pricey, um for some but uh when you got uh, a very busy household uh you know sometimes being able to have a doctor's appointment at 7 p.m is worth it <laughs> yeah right um now my prices are higher it's 150 a month for uh um, the infants zero to one year of age because i'm actually um now if you look at my website my website currently says vaccines are not included uh, actually, you know what? Uh, I did the numbers, and uh, I'm going to take a loss on it. But the vaccines are included uh, in, okay. in my membership, just because um, you know what? I'll have a, I might have a small profit, whatever. Um, I'm not going to burden the par the patients with it or anybody with yeah, right. vaccines. It's convenience I'm, I'm offering. Plus, also, I got to look at it past one year of age. You know, I've got this kid for 18 years. It'll pay itself. Sure. <laughs> so the one, the neat thing I've always found with DPC docs is it is, um, and it, everyone is very much very helpful to each other and they provide advice. And so anyone who wants to start a practice, really it's uh, my, my impression has been you contact any DPC doc who's in your area or not in your area and they're super helpful. Like they'll tell you about everything to do and what they're the pitfalls and what, yeah. and, um, it's, it's definitely movement. And you look at the growth of it, it's gone. I think it's tripled in the last two yeah. years. Well, there so is a demand. It, well, I, there's no question there's a demand. And, there, and I think where I'm starting to see a difference is in the, the people who are training and, um, both medical students and the, and the residents, because, Again, going back to the why you go into medicine, right? Especially if you're interested in primary care, 
no one is interested in being primary care and seeing people in any sort of assembly line fashion or at least one where you're not where you don't have autonomy or you're getting paid where yeah. the people who are making you are who are paying you and so that you ultimately are the you know the, they're your masters in some sense where they're putting things on you that are you think are not helpful to you or the patient and so uh, there's a huge demand for this. I, I've seen medical students now who are talking about this, which five years ago when I talked to them, they thought I had three heads. And now I'll mention it and they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, or I'm real interested in that. Or I've looked at, and now we have practices here in our town. And yeah. I know I some residents who are getting out and they're going to start their own practice. That's, they're going to supplement with, you know, urgent care and some stuff. But it's yeah. real interesting that it's changed very quickly because, as you mentioned, there's this demand for it, right? There's, there's the, the price point is, is high, but... When you look at the price point of going to urgent care a couple of times or the ER or, you know, trying to meet your deductible, I mean, it doesn't seem so bad anymore. Well, you know, also, it's not just that. We, it's, uh, we also have to look at kind of um, – now, my, now, my prices aren't going to work outside of the New York area. I mean, I'm in one of the richest counties in the country. Well, but, but people aren't, but it doesn't cost so much to live in other places, and so a physician could charge so less in other places too, right? Yeah, right. Out. Uh, here, my marketing team, uh, they actually wanted me to raise my price. I wanted to go even lower. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> no, <laughs> we need to raise your price. And they even, I, I had to fight with them. Uh, I'm like, come on, I'm the doctor. And they're like, but we're your marketing team. I'm like, okay, you're right. Uh, but, uh, you know, the prices that I have on my website, this is kind of, I had to negotiate this with my marketing team. But you know what? They were right. Because <laughs> they're like, if you're too cheap, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> right. Yeah, no question. There's definitely, you know, you're, if Lamborghinis were, you know, $3,000, yeah. no one would want them, right? Because that's, so, they'd be, or they worry they fall apart. Yeah. So, um, you know, you said something about gym memberships. And actually, this is very similar to that. So uh, out here in New York, we have, uh, we have a couple of different uh, gym. We have uh, almost a tiered gym, uh, gym landscape here. We have uh, Planet Fitness where it's like $10 a month. And that's just, you know, you've got your basics. There's some. There's some uh, uh, gym equipment in a big in a big uh, warehouse type area. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, other end of the spectrum is like a Equinox, which is like two hundred dollars a month. Uh, that gives you uh, classes and, and personal training sessions and and lavender scented uh, towels when you enter. And then you got New York Sports Club in the middle, which is about hundred dollars a month. And uh, you got some classes here. Some classes you might have to pay a little bit extra for, uh, but you got a little cleaner equipment, um, and 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 that's that's kind of uh, um, what I like to be I, the, the one in the middle. <laughs> so you know, right. I could price myself much higher. I wouldn't be able to price myself lower. Uh, and actually, I, I kind of think what the traditional uh, practices are, traditional insurance practices are the planet fitness gyms. What <laughs> everybody. <laughs> This is, hey, this is what you got. But if you want a little bit better care, you kind of go, go, go step up. And, and we, you know, a membership model is proliferating in our kind of culture right now. I mean, you look at Amazon Prime. We are Prime members. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Look at Uber. Um, uh, people were like, hey, I'll Uber this. And we're in New York City. Everybody, we have generations who were used to sitting in cabs. Uh, taking cabs uh, to places now now everybody's uber um and, and and so i think a dpc model uh and uber is kind of similar to a, a membership um but uh you go to uh, uh, disney world a lot of people out here in new york they pay for their admission to disney world but they also pay for that fast pass so they don't have to wait in line i'm the fast pass yeah right? and the thing is, if we kind of look at it uh, globally, and depending on what your uh, deductible uh, situation is like, well, we might be able to save you money and get better care uh, and be convenient for you and your family. And yeah. so I just want to be able to spend time with the kids, um, not just my kids, but <laughs> their kids. No, no, I understand. Yeah, that's um, right. That's the whole point. I want to, I want to practice medicine the way, um, the way I envisioned it. And... Uh, and I think this DPC movement is growing because um, I think, um, I, I don't know, like a, a revolution is starting. I think uh, as for many of us doctors, we're kind of saying, hey, we're, we're going to take it back now. Um, physician burnout and physician suicide are an all-time high. And I think that we're taking a step. 
we're we're trying to do something to be better for ourselves and our patients. And so um, I think if we keep supporting each other and we help each other grow, we can do better uh, for for our patients and for uh, our country even. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think you're right. I think in the, from a cost standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to do this. And and I think right now the the difficulty you're facing is just the familiarity that people have with the yeah. with with the payment process, and you know you don't take insurance. What? What? You know all that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, oh, I'm sure you have that discussion the all the time. One. So you're a hundred dollars a month, uh, and then when we see you, how much is that? I'm like, no, it's a hundred dollars a month. Well, uh, okay, so we come over for a strep test. How much is that? It's still a hundred dollars a month. <laughs> um, we we need some camp forms filled out. How much is that? It's still a hundred dollars a month. So it's we like can see old... you thirty times in a in a month. I was like, if you need to see me thirty times in a month, then you. <laughs> <laughs> you got some serious problems out there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so the the practical questions that the docs are going to ask, they're going to say, well, for one thing, I have to tell, and I we again offline, I talked. I have a friend who's a pediatrician who insists that this is a unicorn situation that that pediatricians cannot possibly make it as direct primary care because um, most families are going to have insurance and so they're going to they're not going to want to pay a premium for their kids to come especially as they get these ages where they're not expected to come in you know i think everyone when they're a baby or maybe up to two years mm-hmm. of age there there's a lot of growth and development there's all kinds of parenting questions and issues especially with your first child and so there's definitely people who would say well you know people are going to pay for that but once they hit like seven eight nine ten twelve i mean for the most part kids aren't there's not much going on aside from getting you know a cold or strep throat or mono or something but um and so that's and that was her contention is that no one would pay for that clearly you're proving that wrong and that you're providing value for those kids dietary help and nutritional help and and those things and i certainly you've established a relationship at that point with the family so i think you know i mean there's you know at seven eight nine ten there's psychosocial needs that the kids have too uh i mean you remember being a junior high kid? I try not to. You try not to. That was terrible. That was terrible. Yeah. Uh, but it, uh, if I had somebody I could just sit there and chat with, um, you know, that that's something I provide. And, you know, and uh, and and uh, my patients comfortable with that. Um, uh, it's it's a and and uh, my. Ten-year-old that I'm working on uh, her her uh, her weight with. I mean, we we chat, and it's not like uh, oh, you need to lose this. I I can't cram everything into five minutes. I don't do that. I actually we chat. You know, we um, you know what what else is going on uh, with you? And, and how's school? How, how's life? You know, how's your sister? Is she do you hate her? You want you know? It's like, uh, yeah, but, right. but yeah, there's something there. There's a, an established relationship. Uh, but, uh, again, uh, I, I, we've also entered this kind of, um, era, this membership era <laughs> where, um, you know, people like memberships <laughs> and think, uh, yeah. they want to have that access. So how many people sign up for a gym membership and they all go in January and then the other 11 <laughs> months. Uh, they don't necessarily go, but they like having the access, the ability to have to go in that gym membership. Uh, and people, um, you know, people, you know, if they need me, I'm here. Uh, I have a lot of athletes. I mean, if, if somebody's older, uh, and, and somebody, uh, falls and, you know, needs stitches. Oh, all right. Uh, come on in. I'll stitch you up. Most traditional pediatric practices here in my area, they'll just tra- they'll just uh, send them over to the ER urgent care because they don't have time to switch them up. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, they may not pay for it, but once you're in, once you're a member, and just like any gym membership, um, it's really hard to break your membership. <laughs> you feel like, oh no, you know, once you once you've been uh, paying your cable bill for a couple of years, and you're like, hey, you know what? I can get all this on Netflix and and Hulu and Amazon, I can cut this cord. It's really hard to cut that cord uh, and, and cut your capable membership. Um, and, uh, uh, and so, it, see, it, and, and it, I mean, a credit card, how hard is it to even cancel your credit card? That's hard too. And these are very, uh, and these are very um, 
kind of robotic, like these are business relationships that you have where you're not even like talking to another person. Now imagine what that's like if you've established a relationship with a pediatrician. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And, and I think when it comes to the direct primary care, I think as people become more familiar with it, it'll be just natural that they'll have, I mean, that'll just be something that people think that they want to use, you know what? utilize. So here's another thing. Um, as I grow, maybe those kids who, uh, or the parents are kind of falling on uh, tougher times and it's like, Hey, you know what? Uh, I can't really afford to pay that hundred dollars a month for my 11 year old. Uh, well maybe, you know, I can still price it lower. The thing is I don't take insurance, so I can price it whatever I want. If I took insurance, no, that's the price. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you'd be thrown in jail. Right. I mean, if yeah, you offer different pricings for different people. Life. For me, yeah. I'm still setting the market. I'm the first DPC pediatrician in New York. So I'm still setting the price. So I'm still setting this. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out what the rates are. Um, and so, uh, and so if, uh, you know, if say, you know, that 11 year old, they, they just can't afford the hundred dollars a month. You know what? Also on the flip side, it's going to be hard for me to break that relationship too. Maybe by then I can figure out the price to go lower. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, well, I, you know, I wish you the best of luck. It sounds like it, it sounds like you're, you're following, um, you're practicing medicine the, you, the way you want to. And so hopefully it all financially works out for your family. It certainly sounds professionally like it's worked out the way, it, the way you'd hoped it had yeah. at least to start. So, I mean, yeah. that's, that's a great story in and of itself. And so, um, if people want to get a hold of you, because guess what? You're not going to be the only DPC pediatrician. I imagine that people are going to find out about you and want to, and want to open their own pediatrics practices as well. Absolutely. So I'm sure you'd be, I'm sure aside from Dr. Price, you will have to try and get a hold of it some other point, but um, how would you, how would people get a hold of you? The easiest way would be um, on my email, uh, info at rivertownspeds.com. And are you on Facebook? Social, are you on social media? Are you writing yeah. anything? Yeah, on Facebook. Uh, it's Rivertown Speeds uh, on, on Facebook. Um, uh, my marketing team, they have an Instagram account. I have no idea. I'm still trying to figure out. <laughs> you might have to be a Snapchat. You're not sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Twitter. Oh, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just a master in Facebook right now. My Instagram. I, I fought with my marketing team about Instagram. And, you know, they were like, we're going to do it. And I was like, fine, whatever. And yeah, it turned out it's getting patience through Instagram, too. Uh, but yeah, Facebook or my email would be the best way. You know? Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And best of luck to you. And, and yeah. uh, it was a nice chatting. Yeah, if you're out in New York, uh, drop by, say hi. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what The Doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com. Sure thing. Well, no worries.